because that happiness is not a perfect marriage mm. because that doesn't exist. And so the minute, you know, you can you can let some of that go and let those mistakes be mistakes without coloring whether it's happy. That's where some of the good stuff comes from. Do you know the secrets to a successful relationship? Me? Does anybody? Um, maybe somebody does. Do you ever talk to family members about successful relationships? Hmm. Do you talk about what makes a happy marriage with your friends over dinner or over coffee? You know, I kind of don't think I do. We don't really have access to those kinds of conversations, especially during the pandemic. We don't have a lot of access. You know, we're not living in in multi-generational households anymore. So we don't have access to people who have figured it out, to people who've been married or in relationships for, you know, decades or more. But today on this podcast, we've got a resource for you. Remember, it's Relationship Month at Here Together and our guest has a thousand years of relationship wisdom queued up for you. Hello, hotties. Welcome to this weekly podcast for people craving a sense of connectedness, a dose of empathy, a glimpse of the way forward, and an opportunity to engage. Our guest this week is Claire Vandepolder, a journalist and producer. Charles, she worked for National Geographic Television. Jealous. I know, right? And Oprah and the Smithsonian developing and executive producing projects that we've probably seen. And it's so cool. So cool. Anyway, she went down the rabbit hole not too long ago on the question of what makes for a happy marriage. She interviewed couples from all over the world, all ages and stages and stations in life, adding up to a thousand years of marriage to get some pearls of wisdom we can all learn from. Her book, Making Marriage Happy, Hard-Won Wisdom from Real Couples is an accessible delight that breaks these successful strategies and behaviors down by subject area and into bite-sized nuggets that are easy to try on. Please enjoy this conversation with Claire Vandepolder. Hey, we just want to let you know before we get to the interview with Claire that in addition to this month being Relationship Month, it is Reviews for Good Month. Yay! That's right. It's hashtag reviews. The letter, uh, sorry, the number four, good, is here. And it's the second year in a row, Podchaser is donating 25 cents to Meals on Wheels for America's Go Further Fund for every podcast and episode review left on Podchaser in April. Yahoo! They'll also double the donation amount anytime a podcaster replies to a review. Which we totally will do. Which we totally will do. So that's 50 cents per review. And you can leave a review not just on the podcast as a whole, but you can leave a review at each episode. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Tell us what you like about the episodes. Yep. So go to podchaser.com slash here together to leave a five-star rating and help raise some money and feed some people, feed, man. Feed the people. Feed the people. All right, let's get to the episode with Claire. Let's do the checklist. The cats are secured. Cat. Cat, that's right. He's feeling much more secure, if a little lonely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little lonely, too. Yeah. One cat house is a different thing. Yeah. Oh, anyway, checklist. Uh, The tape is rolling. (laughs) Check. The caffeine at optimal levels. Pretty darn good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the microphones are hot. Check. We are here Here together. together. 
Welcome everybody to the second part of Relationship Month here on the Here Together podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, Claire. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to be with you. And I'm here with my married partner, Kelly Robert. Thank you for introducing yourself. Yes. And uh, yeah, we're, we'll we'll see uh, if our marriage is any different at the end of this <laughs> at the end of this interview. It should be great. But uh, Claire, the the first question we're going to ask you is the one we ask everybody, and that is. What did little 10-year-old Claire want to be when she grew up? Oh, goodness. I think I wouldn't have been able to tell you using the word storyteller. Mm. But I knew that the word, that stories were magic. Mm. I remember being a kid and falling in love with the English Winnie the Pooh stories, just one book after another, and just being so completely enchanted by the Hundred Acre Wood and all these crazy Tigger and Piglet and Pooh and the whole, the whole cast. And then at some point later, my parents gave me the book, The Secret Garden, which is another enchanted story and a whole other world you can go into. So I think that that's probably something as a kid that I could have said that really, you know, lights my fire. That's great. And you, and you've, you've kind of made a career out of that. I have, I have, I've been lucky. I've, you know, been able to write and tell stories and make television. And it's just, it's, it's been a wonderful career. And one that one where you just constantly keep learning. I think that's the biggest fun. And so was that part of the motivation for writing this book? Was it, was it curiosity? Was it a desire to learn? Was it a desire to tell stories? What, what pushed you to do that? Yes. <laughs> All of the I know. Above. I just I just violated one of the podcasting you know interview <laughs> rules. Don't ask yes no questions. And you as a producer and writer know that I I messed that up. That that's actually a good because it, it's all of those things. And I think I think I am just naturally a curious person. But the the way the book came about was sort of an anomaly because I hadn't written a book before. I'd spent you know my career making nonfiction TV, but my brain probably works in projects the same way that yours does when you work in a creative field. And so it came about quite organically around the holidays. I think it was my husband and I had just been spending a lot of time with couples friends and having like a lot of fun and talking about what great couples they were, but how different they were from us. And I just started to sort of ask these questions of myself. Why does it, why does that work for them? Why does what we do work for us? What do happy couples do? that makes them happy, that makes their marriages work. And so that's really the thesis question of the book, which is what they do. And that's why it's called making marriage happy, because it's a verb. Mm. Making It's making marriage happy. And it's not just a state of being. It's really what do happy couples do that makes it work? Wow. You're not great. just stumbling across it somewhere or getting lucky. Right. I yeah. mean, and, and some people, I think, do kind of have a little natural chemistry and byplay. But it's more than that. It, it definitely takes more than that. I mean, that's our that's our experience. I mean, there was chemistry between Kelly and I. This is a long story, but, mm -hmm. I, you know, I walked into her art studio and, it sh and I, I walked into her art studio with the woman I was dating at the time. But there was still this like, hmm. Mm -hmm. We both had a wait a second. <laughs> it's funny. I can I remember the moment that I met my husband. And it was in a professional context, but, and I've forgotten everybody I've met. I don't remember those meetings, <laughs> yeah. but I think that's, it might be one of those things where they talk about the lightning strike. Cause mm -hmm. I can remember being introduced to him and looking at him and going, he's tall and wow, he's cool. 
but it was just, it was a very strange thing. So I think there is probably always a little chemistry that, you know, you're never going to be able to explain. Right. But that's not enough. No, no. it's not sustainable, <laughs> is it? And you married relatively late in life as, as we did. We, we were in our forties. You were in your 39, tick talking, <laughs> uh, late thirties. Yep. Yep. I, I, I was one of the last of, of certainly siblings and friends to get married, but I, I was really never tempted to, to do otherwise. I just, I, I knew that there was stuff there that I couldn't figure out. And I knew when people were getting married in their twenties that I had no business thinking about it. It just was not, I was just not in any kind of shape to be making those decisions. So how did you know when you were ready? I guess you, you knew in your twenties that you weren't ready. Right. How did, how did you know that you were ready? I think, well, we all, we didn't rush into anything. We, we took about three years to decide that we wanted to get married, but I think it was just, it was a relationship that I was more myself in than anything I'd been previously. And that was a welcome thing. It wasn't an intrusion, you know, and also there was just a feeling. There was just a confidence that grew. That was like, we went through enough. We traveled together. We went through some life experiences together and you go, okay, this, I can see how this would go long-term. And this seems like I'm, I'm pretty confident in making this bet. A bet. I love it. Mm, yeah. Cause it is really. So you took a pretty unique approach to this book and this investigation. And it really was, you used what I would call a journalistic approach rather than a psychological, sociological, you know, you're not the Harville Hendricks, you know, bringing in all kinds of data from, from studies. You're not, uh, you know, Brandy Brown bringing a sociological approach. You went out and asked people to tell their stories. Right. What, what made you take that approach? In a way, Charles, it's, it's a bit like a documentary film in a book. Because when you're making documentaries, what you want to hear is the story of the person who lived it. That's always what you're trying to get in an interview. And then when you're putting it together in the edit, you're trying to cut it so that they can tell that story as much in their own words as possible. And you as the narrator are writing as little as you can. And so for me, I think it was only after I was underway that I realized that's what I was doing. But I think that was just the way that I kind of was conditioned to tell stories. And so the way the book is laid out is that I wrote a basic introduction to the, the way that I did the interviews, the people that I chose, a wide, diverse group who had collectively been married for a thousand years. So I stopped at a thousand years of wisdom. I thought that was enough to, to sort of write a book on. And then uh, I put it together in chapters that are organized by subject. So there's money, there's fighting, there's household issues, there's gift giving, there's can you change your partner? You know, can you can you change yourself? And then after the introduction to each chapter, there's just, uh, you know, bite after bite after bite from different couples that all the statements are anonymous. So you kind of, I got a review recently where somebody said after they read the book that they felt like they had just gone to a great cocktail party full of fun people telling good stories that were truthful and, and honest and inspiring. And so that's, that's sort of what I hope the experience of reading the book is. 
that you you laugh a little, you cry a little bit, but you relate and you you certainly are are maybe inspired to look at your relationship a little bit differently because whoever we are, as happy as you are or not, there's always a little tweak you can make, something you can improve. And um, so I hope the book has a lot of ideas how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Kelly and I were talking about it just this morning and and reflecting that the kinds of conversations and this sort of anecdotal approach is what's missing from our lives. And we're guessing that most of our friends feel this way as well. It's like, you know, we haven't had a dinner party in in 18 months anyway. And even when we do have dinner parties with married couples, we don't typically lean across the table and say, what's the big challenge in your in your relationship? Right. I, I liked how you talk in the introduction of the book about how a lot of the people you talk to were just super happy to talk about what makes their marriages good. But it struck me because it seems almost like a, ta- I don't know, it's a taboo is a little strong, but people don't get into like they either gripe about their spouses or, or I don't know, like, I, I don't really hear those conversations happening about what makes a marriage really work. And given that we don't live in intergenerational households, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like, it's not like Kelly can kind of, you know, do dishes next to her mom and say, you know, this is what's going on with me and Charles, you know, what, how did you and dad handle that or whatever? It's, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of cut off from a lot of this wisdom. So it's, yeah, this a thousand years of marriage wisdom is just, that's a wonderful that's a gift to give the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I'm the sort of the same way in my, you know, in our personal lives, that's how we relate. You relate, you don't sit there and ask people, what was the worst time you ever had, you know, but what I asked for was the permission to ask those questions. And I started with friends and they, that was probably an easy way. And once they knew what it was, I said, refer me, mm. you know, do you know anybody else who might want to do this? And so I ended up talking to a lot of strangers. And once they knew they signed up for this, most of them were very happy. And then I, I, you know, I sometimes said, if this is just something you don't want to talk about, if this area of romance, for example, you just don't want to go there. We don't need to, there's enough material here that, Nobody needs to feel uncomfortable, but most people were very, you know, very, very forthcoming about the mistakes and the imperfection. That to me is is, is a strong undercurrent of the book is that happiness is not a perfect marriage Mm. because that doesn't exist. And so the minute, you know, you can you can let some of that go and let those mistakes be mistakes without coloring, whether it's happy. That's where some of the good stuff comes. So are you telling us that we get to be ourselves? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And I always say our imperfect selves. (laughs) Yeah. And and I'm not, I'm definitely not an expert, but I can tell you from the work I did and the couples that I spoke to, that is exactly that the happiest ones I think are the ones who are most, most themselves, who are most comfortable in their homes being exactly who they are. Mm. Yeah. Chapter, chapter six is, can you change your partner? And you don't have to read very far into that chapter to, to get the, to get the answer back from these wise married couples. No, you can't. You might try. We've all tried. Right. I still try, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's, that's, that's your own ego more than, more than whatever's going on, but you just have to, there's stuff you have to live with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kelly supports me 
and my desire to change and grow and become a better business person, a better a better person, a better partner, a better world citizen or whatever. And I can tell sometimes when she's been waiting a little bit, <laughs> when I'll be like, you know, I really am going, I really want to work on this. And she's like, mm, really? You want to work on that now? That's wonderful, Charles. But the encouragement helps, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Kelly has my back 100%. And I, and I love that. And you know, there's definitely there's definitely some advice in this book too about kind of like holding your holding your tongue until the time Shut is right. It. <laughs> what were the what were the favorite questions for you to ask? What what was your favorite topic to ask about? I loved asking about gift giving. Mm. There's a whole chapter on gifts, and for some couples, gifts are very important. For others. It's, it's the whole spectrum. They're not important at all. However, even the ones who don't give gifts that I spoke to remembered special dates, remembered certain occasions, remembered to mark a date where they met or they had an anniversary or one of their children was born to celebrate each other and being together. And so the gifts were a new way I thought of, of kind of getting into some of these, what do happy couples do? Well, sometimes they give really bad gifts. And those are, those are great stories. You know, there's a guy who talks about how his wife wanted, you know, gave him every hint that she needed diamond earrings for Christmas. And so he thought, all right, and started to shop for them. And he was like, well, diamond earrings are really expensive. And so the ones he settled on were small. But he was like, they're diamond earrings. I'm going to give her what she wants. So, of course, she opens them up and was like, these are like for a child or a baby. Oh. (laughs) And she was so disappointed and just was like, you know, had to take he, he had to take it back. And he just realized he'd sort of cheaped out on it. And so he he said, I had to think for a while about how to make amends. And he went shopping for good what you know what she would consider good earrings but then to give them to her six months later through her uh, a party just like a sort of half birthday party and gave her the earrings with you know in front of people with a whole big celebration and tried to you know and she was very happy with that and so it wasn't about her beating him up about it but it was about her making something known that he just decided you know what i really i really didn't do it right and i want to do that thing right mm. and there's you know that's just that's there's a little sadness in that one but but it it sort of shows you the commitment but there's some other ones that are really funny about a woman who gives her husband a watch that he doesn't like then the next <laughs> week the next year she gives him the same watch the very same watch that he didn't like because she liked it, I guess, but didn't, you know. And so then he had to start leaving little clips around the house and articles and things about, you know, so he said it only, you know, third time's the charm and it only took five years. Oh, good. There's hope for me. (laughs) (laughs) We have had that exact thing. Just a week ago, I finally, I finally fessed up about my, the resentment I've been hanging on to for a couple of years about, about this watch, actually. Um, (laughs) I, you know, I asked, I asked for a, a relatively specific watch and then Kelly found something that was close to it, but probably half the price thought she'd done a remarkable job. I wouldn't say remarkable, but okay. passable. Yeah. It wasn't passable apparently. And I have a whole, I mean, I have a whole story behind 
watches and the way men look at one another's wrists and and you know the his, you know a vintage watch being something that ties one to the anyway blah 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 you know i held my tongue for as long as i could and i didn't i don't want to get another watch like that so i'm glad i said something yeah <laughs> i don't want to get i don't want to get three of those and that comes from We've had numerous conversations on the podcast and off about how one of the things that that we have come to understand is like we are who we are. And I am a thrifter and a hunter and I'm I, I will always be looking for the bargain. I will always be looking for a, a way to do it, you know, non-traditionally and as homemade as possible and as cheaply as possible, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. And he loves like the best version that you can get. You know, he wants it done right the first time and it doesn't have a lot of room for, you know, experimenting and, and working our way towards something. So this is yet another instance of us being us and you know, me not realizing he really specifically wanted that specific watch. Like that doesn't even exist in my head. I'm like, what, what can I get close and how, you know, what do I feel comfortable spending, you know? And so I had no idea, you know, I, I guess I got the feeling like he wasn't super thrilled with it, but at the same time, it, you know, I didn't even know. But that's what that that's exactly why I wanted to talk about gifts with happy couples, because I think if you're not thinking about it, you go, other couples don't have these problems. You know, they're happy. They give each other the right gift every Christmas, anniversary, birthday. It happens all throughout the year. And there's this pressure to to do it right, even if you agree sometimes well, we're not going to do gifts this year or this particular occasion. You're going to find an occasion where you want to do something for your lover, you know, your loved one. And so um, how can we do that better? And that was, you know, there's nothing wrong though with taking a swing and a miss. <laughs> well, and it being, sounds like. Being upfront about that and say, if this isn't the one, I'll go back to the store, but I really wanted you to have this. Yeah. And that's that the, the person you told the story about, it sounds really beautiful that he was willing to really dig into what that meant for her. And to create some fanfare around, you know, the second swing. And, <laughs> I, you know, that's really beautiful. And fr and we talk about that kind of thing all the time of like, you can mess up and then try again. And that's one of one of the the principles that we work with all the time on this on the podcast and in our lives of, of like, you get a do over. Go ahead. What do you think it took for that husband to do that? Because that was a, that was more effort. Mm -hmm. That was a, an even greater risk. He did it in public. He like went what, for it. What about that? What about that relationship? Or what about him made that possible? I think it was a commitment to do this thing for his wife that he just really knew that she wanted. And it was an unusual moment for her to say so specifically, this is what it was. And to say that it was an expensive thing. And I know that he, you know, he talks about, you know, he felt like he was in the doghouse. He just felt mm. so bad and didn't want to be in the doghouse anymore. <laughs> just thought, yeah. let me yeah. see what else I can do. And part of it, I think, was, look, it, it, 
like you're talking about, Kelly, do you spend that money? Really? Mm -hmm. And it might be something that you on your side go, that would not be worth it to me. Mm -hmm. But I, I think for this guy in the book, it was an understanding. It was worth that money to his wife. And so maybe just sort of finding the headspace to go, okay, well, then that's what it's going to cost. And I'm going to be okay with that because we can afford it. I don't really choose it. But if it means that much to her, I'm going to honor that. And now they have several thousand dollars worth of story. Yes. <laughs> yeah. now, and then story, I mean, stories are part of what part of what ties a relationship together, I think. Don't don't you, Claire? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And and it's a it's a series of stories. I think that again, when you talk about making marriage happy as the as the title of the book, it is it's the verb. It's the verb that you're you know, you've got your eye on it every day. If you can, if you don't, it's as often as you can, because you're changing, your partner's changing, you got to keep an eye on each other and what's happening. And then there's all kinds of stuff happening outside of your home, like pandemics and work and weather and all kinds of other stuff that's that's just going to put pressure on you. So it's a constantly dynamic changing state. And it is made up of stories and events that are occurring and, and contribute to who you are. Well, let's take a pause right there. Yeah. Sit, yeah. sit still with the change. Yeah. <laughs> sit still with the change. You think back on on the stories in your relationships and, and the ones that uh, held you together. Maybe the ones that didn't mm, go so well. Yeah. It's all stories. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with more Making Marriage Happy, hard-won wisdom from real couples. And Claire, thank you so much for being here. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Claire. We hope you're getting a ton of inspiration and excitement out of it. We sure are. Wanted to direct you to a couple of different episodes that you might like as well. Going all the way back to episode 17, entitled More Blood. Doesn't seem like it has a connection, <laughs> but it was a, an interview with husband and wife horror filmmakers, Andrew and Angie Johnson Schmidt. It's not easy for me to say. They're, they're, they're not, what I say, husband and wife horror. Yeah. I mean, that they're a team they're a that team. makes horror films. Yes. They're not a horrible team that makes films. No. They are a husband and wife team that makes horror films. Their names are Andrew and Angie Johnson Schmidt, and it's episode 17. Check that out. They go into a fair bit about what it's like to work together mm -hmm. and the kind of communication that Claire is talking about through this episode. Mm, yes. They've really worked that out. And to be able to do it on a set in front of everybody else. Holy moly. You know, in the middle of the night with time pressure and right. all that kind of stuff. I just really admire their relationship for sure. Yeah, they've got some stuff figured out. Mm -hmm. And also to toot our own horn, you can check out episode 20 entitled A Relationship Quickie. I was trying to be kind of... Um, that was probably my idea. <laughs> no, yeah, I think I was trying. I was trying to be salacious, but it was a it was an attempt at producing a shorter episode. It didn't end up being all that short because we were talking about relationships. We were talking about our relationship. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the things that we do to make things work and yeah. fun. So check that out, episode twenty. You can also check out our Make Your Relationship Great blog series. We've written four posts about what we think are some of the key elements to the success, stability, fun, and peace in our relationship, you can go to here-together.us slash articles to read them all. And now let's get back to the current episode with Claire Vanderpolder. Polder. 
and welcome back to the Here Together podcast. We are here with Claire Vandepolder, and we are talking about how to make marriage happy. Did, did anybody come up with a definition of what happy meant? No, you know, I purposely left that up to couples to define for themselves, because I think there were one or two, I'll confess, where I looked at it and I go, maybe not my definition of happiness, you know, that there was a lot of reality, a lot of some criticism, but that that's how they chose to live together in a way that they wanted to constantly improve their lives. So I really left that up to the individuals to define. If that's what makes you happy, then good enough for me. Who are we to say? <laughs> Who are we to say? And you and in, you included stories from all around the world and you also included same-sex couples, right? I did. Yeah. I did. So gay and straight, young and old, the a uh, couple who had been married the least amount of time had been together for four years. The ones that had been together for the longest amount of time were together for 62. And so they were from a lot of different um, cultures, different countries. Different generations. Generations, religions. And so I really, really worked to get a cross section of, of people who were not like me. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> That's really cool. And... Same-sex marriage has only been legal in the States for... A few years. 10 years? Has Not it even. Been even. 10 years yet? No, like five. Yeah. Did you... Were there any trends, any differences between uh, same-sex and, and um, different sex marriages? Or, or was it the same, all the same issues? I, I would say I didn't, I didn't see a lot of difference. But there was one... One comes to mind of a guy that I was talking to who talked about being closeted for most of his life. And in fact, in the closet to a lot of his friends and his entire family when he met the man that he was going to marry. And that actually, instead of being something that caused joy, it caused him a lot of turmoil because it was forcing him to come to terms with a, a piece of himself that he hadn't really addressed yet. And he knew it wasn't adequate. To, to stay in the closet and not be who he was. And so he he talks about how he, he got some therapy at that time. His husband-to-be also was in therapy at the time. And that, that coming together because of all that baggage and all that history and weight was a different way. But now that it's done, he's out to everyone he knows, his entire family. He just says there's a weight that's been lifted and that they live with such joy. So it was a really, it, it's a nice story. And it's, it's not something that we think about if you're in your heterosexual marriage that you have to, that you would ever have to think, gee, I need to give myself permission to, to be in this relationship. And it's going to cause this great, great, you know, shock across every relationship in my life. But the outcome for him was very good. And so that was nice. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Were there other stories that surprised you or approaches to being in relationship that really surprised you? I was really surprised at how eager men were to talk about their relationships. Mm. I had one of my favorite moments was this, this couple that I was going to talk to. And a lot of the people that I interviewed, I would do two at a time. And we would sit there with the three of us together. But he was like, I need my own interview. I don't want her there. I got a lot to say. It wasn't that they were going to bicker, but he was just like, I have a lot to say and I just want to talk to you by myself. And so I'm like, OK, you know, but, you know, he he was one and there were many of them that were on their second or sometimes even third marriage. 
and they had learned some stuff and learned it the hard way. And he's one of the people who his, he will say he didn't know what love was in his first marriage. It wasn't love. And he, he knows now that he's married and in such a loving, happy, peaceful relationship that that's love for the first time. So that's, you know, they get very, the, the men got very impassioned about it. And in a way that I thought was just really fun. What do you, why do you think they were so eager to talk? Is it because nobody had asked them? I think there was a lot of that, that, that nobody asked them, that they knew people who were in unhappy marriages, that they felt like they had something to contribute, but not, weren't asked, weren't invited to have that conversation maybe. And so they just, people are, people are generous when they, when you ask them a question and some people, you know, when I asked them to do, to do these interviews, because it took, took a matter of hours. And then sometimes I'd follow up and it would take, take even more time. Many would say yes, right off the bat, because they're like, we've learned a lot. I, I'd be so happy to tell you what we learned. There were things we, we thought we knew when we went into it that were so wrong and this might help people. So yeah, let's do it. Mm. Well, I'm curious, Claire, if if you came across any advice that you took home to try out and if any of that was something that you kept and incorporated into your marriage. I, I really appreciated hearing people talk about being individuals and together at the same time. And for my husband and me, that's always been important because we we met later. We we had established careers there's a chapter called Two Becoming One. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I talk about in the introduction is that we have a lot of words that we attach to marriage, like the two becoming one. What does that really mean? Well, that's, that's sort of an impossibility. You're going to become a family unit. That's one way, I guess. You're going to live in the same house, probably. Maybe you'll share a name, maybe you won't. But you're always going to be yourselves. And really, the best marriages are the ones where they're sort of celebrating and embracing the uniqueness of each other. And, and that was something that I found to be encouraging. That's, that's really something that works for us. But I think without knowing other people, without really knowing how other people sort it for themselves, you can go, maybe we should be spending more time together. You know, is it, is it weird that we're happy by ourselves when one of us is traveling or is it not? And, and there are plenty of couples out there that are doing things with their own friends they have a lot of separate interests. They might not even talk about all their problems with each other because they have work friends for work problems or family for family problems. And they're not necessarily bringing it all to their spouse. So for me, that was very, very kind of comforting to hear that however you organize your lives in that respect, as long as you're both feeling taken care of, that seemed to work for people. Mm. We we don't have to be everything for each other in a marriage. Yeah. 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 And even that and even that there's a there's a chapter on when things get tough called for worse, where difficult things happen and people might need some, you know, a therapist. There were realizations that some of these couples had that when they had a death in the family or a tough diagnosis or some other, you know, the loss of a job, that their spouse wasn't the best person to help them solve that. And it didn't mean there was anything wrong with their marriage. It was just that there was something they had to learn that was like, I need a professional for this, or I need my sister who knows me better than anybody else to help me through the death of a parent. Those sorts of things that you don't think about it until you go through it and you go, 
I thought my marriage was supposed to help me with all of this. And well, in this case, it didn't. But that doesn't mean there's any fault on either side, as far as I could tell. Yeah. So one of the things that that I noticed is that the folks that you interviewed all seemed to have this capacity for self-reflection and empathy. And in, in particular, the chapter about, you know, kind of holding your tongue and, and not necessarily saying everything. I remember a story about a woman, I, think, I believe it was a, I believe it was a heterosexual relationship. And the woman was talking about how she really appreciated it, that her husband wanted her help, wanted her to participate in some of his projects, but that she'd go out there and be holding the board or something. And he had all of these directions about how to hold it and kind of, it sound, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but it sort of made her feel a little controlled or, you know, like she wasn't being appreciated or whatever, but just like the amount of thinking that was going on in her head, like, here I am, he wants me to do this. I like that. I like that he's asking me, but I don't like how I'm being treated, but I'm not going to say anything right now because it's not that important. But I still notice this frustration in myself, like there's a lot going on while she's standing there holding that board. Absolutely. Did all of the do you, is 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 that a is that an important characteristic for a happy marriage? The ability to do all of that self reflection, or or can we be a little less intelligent than she was and still have a happy marriage? Well, I will say that I think I think that was a very it was a commonality in the in the couples that they were able to look at situations. And this happens over time. I think it's not the kind of thing you're going to necessarily figure out in the first year or two of your marriage. But this particular woman I know who you're talking about had been married for 40 years. And so there's a knowledge of who her husband was and how he regarded her, which was with a great deal of respect. But there are also people from a different generation where he does the woodworking and she does the kitchen work. And because he was in charge in that moment, she could see that it was like, oh, you know, she's rolling her eyes. Come on. It's not rocket science. I'm holding a board here and you're sawing it. You know, she was like, all right, he's that's that's how he wants to handle it. I don't need to get involved. And I think that that's that's sort of the benefit of hindsight and also just knowing, is he disrespecting me in this? No, he's not. It's just how he wants this particular thing done. He needs a hand. I'm going to give him a hand and not make it more than it is. Well, that's got to be a huge thing of just what to know, knowing what to fight about and what to let go. Yes, that there, there's a whole chapter on conflict. And what a lot of them, what's interesting, what was interesting to me is that a lot of them talked about how when they first got together, they would have real angry shouting fights. And depending on the kind of family you came from, maybe that was normal. That's what they brought into it. But a lot of them say that over the years, getting to know each other and understand each other has brought them to a place where they basically don't fight anymore. They disagree all the time, but it's not with emotion. Mm. It's not with anger. It's it's in a, in a place of letting each other be who you are. And so there were there were. A couple, there's a a funny one where a woman talks about how her husband early in their marriage would kind of have these tantrums and get really angry. She said he would he would never hurt her, but it was this real level. And she just got so fed up with it and said, look, you know, if that's how you're going to behave, then I'm going to get a baseball bat and start breaking things, too. And he said, well, I think that's very reasonable. And 
he'd stop doing it because she just called him on it. And you have to, you know, you have to sort of figure out how to, how to observe each other and say, here's what you're doing. I don't think that's fair or cool. What about if I started to bust things up with a baseball bat? And he was like, oh, I see. <laughs> and he was able to dial it back from there. Yes. That's, yes. A, that's pretty amazing. Because she, she basically said, and I, it didn't happen overnight, of course, mm-hmm. but she said, you know, in, in the heat of all of that that's going on, you got to figure out, you know, what, what you're going to tolerate. Mm-hmm. And that was not something that she knew she could live with for a lifetime. Yeah. And they were able to really, you know, really figure it out. That's great. Ugh. So it does, it, it, it is, it's a lot of it is, is again, that knowing each other and working at it over time. And also, you know, forgiveness is a big part of that, that comes up is it for forgiveness and, you know, please thank you and forgiveness are mm. a part of life together. And you really have to be willing to forgive and go, we're going to just wipe the slate and, and move on and not, and not carry those grudges through year after year. It's, it's too hard. It's too destructive. It sounds like people have, or at least the people you talk to have a pretty large capacity for conscious behavior of, of making decisions and changing tack and trying different things until they find something that works. It sounds like you're saying that we can, we can do things differently. Right. And that's, that was really, and my focus was on, again, to get, to get back to the the practical aspects, it was what happy couples do. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to learn and study about relationships. And, but this is really what, what do they do kind of practically if we're going to sort of get rid of a, a, a lot of the deep psychological stuff, which is very cool, but that's not who I am. And, and really ask, what did you do and why did you do that in all these different areas? And hopefully some, some truths start to come up after you hear from enough people practicing the same behaviors. Can you num- number a few of those top things that people do or are there a lot of them scattered across all the chapters? There are a lot of them. In fact, they're really the structure of, of the mm-hmm. chapters. So in this in this chapter about conflicts, for example, um, one of the one of the subheads. So the subheads are what I wrote, and then after that comes all the little bites of people giving examples. So one of the takeaways of the of the conflict chapter is that being honest can be uncomfortable, but it can also get easier with time. Mm. Another one is 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 called house rules. Some couples agree to how they will and won't behave when they fight. So we won't call names or we won't go to bed angry. We're going to we're going to work this out before we go to bed. Other people say we might go to bed angry, but the next morning we wake up and it's diffused and we can talk about it. And that's what works for us. So there's just some like practical stuff about fighting that certain people decided they would do. Some people recognize they have hot buttons they fight about repeatedly, sometimes known as, quote, that same stupid argument. You know, for for this one woman talks about how she was they were talking about a home improvement they were going to have and that her husband had gotten some news from one of the contractors and it just set her off and she started to freak out. And it was like she could see herself going, what's happening? 
And she realized it wasn't about that moment. It was because they'd had other issues with home improvements and contractors in the past, but that's their same stupid argument. That's, that's like a real danger zone. Another couple talks about when they do their taxes, they bicker when they do their taxes because it's, it's, it's pressure filled and they have to get all the details right. And it gets at the way they're doing their record keeping. So that's their same stupid argument that they know, you know what, let's not argue when we do this. Let's realize that this is hard and it helps them now that they know what it is over years. They have figured out, oh, we get weird when we're doing this. Let's be kind to each other. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We actually outsourced it mm-hmm. when it comes to taxes. We're just like, <laughs> I, I, I gather the data. Kelly doesn't have anything to do with gathering the data. And then we hand it to an account. We are gladly, we are, let's pay 400 bucks to not have a weekend of stress and fighting. Does that, oh. does that sound worth it? Yes. Mm-hmm. That sounds worth it. Absolutely. I've yeah. heard people say that too, that they're the money they spend for a housekeeper is right the money that keeps their marriage happy, right? That it's just, it just eliminates fighting. So whatever that is for you, you know, if you can, if you can do that, that's sort of, again, why that, that same stupid argument, if you can figure out, okay, now we know we ought to have to be a little more conscious when we're doing this. And there's somebody, one of the, one of the guys that's quoted in the book says, you know, that how important it is for him and his wife just to talk to talk every day for real, because it creates the kind of compatibility and understanding of the other person. So that if she might do something, his wife, if his wife did something the next day that he didn't understand, then he wouldn't fly off the handle about it because he knew who he was dealing with. He knew what her concerns and worries and fears were. So maybe she did this, maybe he didn't like it, but he could understand it a little bit better and therefore didn't react in quite the same way you know, without compassion. Absolutely. That's so huge. Just that little bit of space that comes with understanding the other person. Like when, when Charles, you know, confessed to me about the watch. Capital T, capital W. The watch. (laughs) I mean, he, he's like, I just have to share this with you. So you know me and what all the things that it meant to him. And, and of course that just made my heart open up. You know, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, maybe he needs to buy himself the watch. I don't know the answer to that. Well, now I want a half birthday party with a lot of people. With a with fanfare. Yeah. yeah, Appropriate fanfare. But I had immense empathy and I didn't take it as an attack on me. Like I I'm one of the first people to go to, I did it wrong. I suck. You know, uh, you know, I, I can't get it right. I have that story in my head for sure, but I didn't do it because of the way he talked to me and the way he shared in that moment. I didn't go to my tapes. I was able to be there with him and, and have immense compassion for him and and his feelings around that and it just made me love him more and so that's the kind of of communication i think that is is huge and and that being vulnerable and and sharing our experiences with each other It's kind of one of of our unspoken ground rules and you were talking about you know agreeing agreeing to fight a particular way Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. one of our kind of unspoken ground rules is you know, ex- explain 
you know, your where you're coming from, be vulnerable about where you're coming from rather than saying, you know, you did this wrong. It's like, mm -hmm. this is what happened and this is how I feel about it. And what than, does it mean to me? Right, rather than, you know, you did this to me and this is why I'm angry at you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So Claire, how many people did you interview for the book? We know it's a thousand years worth of marriage wisdom, but you, do yeah. you know how many people it was? I talked to around 50 people total, yeah. 20 something couples. There was the, there was the odd individual person there, but about 50 people. And what's been the response from them either at the time of the interview or, or later are their lives or relationships different or changed or what was their response to, to your questions and your interest in their primary relationship? I, I think most people really had fun doing the relation, doing the interviews. Because again, they're, it, they're not necessarily taboo things to talk about, but you just don't do it in normal life. And for, for somebody to, uh, it, when I would say, for example, if I knew this was a gift giving couple, what was the best gift that you ever received? You could just see them like wind up and get ready to tell you this story that it just made them so happy to share this story. And so, you know, we want to share the things that make us happy. We also genuinely want to share the things that we know that we've learned that have made our lives better. So for example, there's just this one guy talking about how his wife was always dragging him along to do these things he didn't want to do. And the guy was, you know, this, this guy who I was interviewing said, I say to my friends, do you know what it's like? If you haven't gone, how do you know what it's like? Just go. You might have fun. You might learn something about yourself. Just go. That's part of the deal. You know, I think that they, a lot of people were quite eager to share things they'd learned that had cost them a little something, a little anxiety or a little little turmoil of their own, but that it helped their lives and that they, you know, wanted to pass it on. Love it. Love it. Let's take another little break. And when we come back, Claire's going to interview us a little bit. We've been Ooh, talking a yeah. lot already, but I bet, she's, I, bet she's, I bet she's got some great questions for us. <laughs> and of course, the science. And the science. We'll be right back. Know darn well that every week you can access fascinating information on our guest background and take a deeper dive into related topics through the information in our show notes. This week you'll find links to Claire's book, links to her website, links to the uh, relevant episodes that we mentioned in the other mm -hmm. mid roll, and all kinds of other goodies, including, you know, probably just a picture of you and I, Kelly. Uh huh. Yeah. Picture of our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The PG version. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you can always find the latest show notes at here-together.us slash pod for the latest episode or go to here-together.us slash library for the show notes from our full catalog of episodes. We put a fair amount of work into these. It's fun to, mm -hmm. to try and imagine what would be really useful for you all, what would be engaging. So check it out. And if there's something that we could do a better job with or that you really liked, let us know. Absolutely. But in the meantime, let's get back to wrap up the show in which... We allow Claire oh, yes. to turn the tables. In fact, we ask Claire to turn the tables on us and ask us a few questions as if we had any sort of relationship wisdom. I know, because we're kind of hoping she'll put out another volume of, of the book and that we'll be in it. So yeah. just saying. Just saying. Hint, part, of, hint. part of our bucket list. Yeah. Exactly. All right, let's get to it. Welcome 
welcome back. We're still here with Claire Vanderpolder talking about the the stuff that Kelly and I really don't like talking about. We really don't like talking about communication or relationship or our marriage. You can tell how reticent we are. We don't really like being here. Who Ew. am I kidding? Who am I kidding? This is our this is our wheelhouse. We love talking about this stuff. <laughs> so happy to be here with Claire, who gathered a thousand years of marriage expertise. Yeah, thanks so much. And and we're gonna we're gonna add our uh, seven, six, eight years. To your total, I guess. Eight years each. So for volume years. two. Oh, there eight years each. Okay, great. Eight years each. Because your Ooh. your years are unique. That Charles. is true. And Kelly's <gasps> years are unique as well. Yeah. <laughs> she knows stuff you don't. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So we're we're in your hands. What would you like to ask us? Okay. All right. Well, one of the one of the chapters is called the power of two. And it talks about how couples have been able to do more with the help of their partner than they probably would have on their own. And I wonder from each of you, if you have an example of something that you have accomplished in your life that you would say you have only been able to do with the help of your spouse. Oh my God. Gosh, I like everything. Yeah. I don't know if I've got a specific thing, but just... I don't know. I just, just living my life. I mean, I've, I've struggled with some depression the last couple of years and, and I, I've had depression off and on across my life, but I've never felt like I had a support and advocate in the way that, that Charles is there for me. And when I feel like I can't get off my face, I know that that he's got me and I'm I'm not going to fall all the way to, you know, into the pit. So that's been really huge of just feeling like I have a, a companion and I'm not all on my own. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many there's so many concrete things that, that we are able to do. You know, Kelly does all of the graphic design for the business. I mean, so there's really concretely, we are partners in the business and not just the graphic design. I mean, you know, it's like we collaborated on all of these questions today. And there are times when I just can't do another, I can't think of another way to talk about a podcast or to to write an intro for a podcast. And Kelly just, Kelly just takes that on. So there's this sort of shared responsibilities in, in the business. And our ability to collaborate and make things better yeah. back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until it's ready. But something that are but that I want to highlight that's a little bit different from that is that being married in particular, and I and I I wish it I wish just a regular long term relationship would have changed me this way, but being married has changed me in how in how I think about what I'm doing and where my priorities are. And it makes me do things like do the taxes, take care of the bills. Basically, I'm not just doing it for myself anymore. So we have a family. It's a little family. It's just the two of us and a cat. But having a family changes how I behave, how I take care of myself, how I take care of my belongings, uh, how I landscape around the house. It's It just changes me, changes my priorities. And then, and you're talking about, as you're talking about some of those things that you do now that you might have approached differently as a single person, is that something you do now out of duty or obligation or is there, or, or is it easier? Are you 
easier? Is it easier and you're more willing to do because you have these shared stakes or something? No, it can, it can feel like I'll, I'll get all in my own victimhood and be like, and then I'll remember, no, I'm taking out the garbage for love. You know, I'm, I used to resent having to think about other people. I mean, that was Mm. part of my like immature adolescent, blah, blah, blah. And now when I do remember, I don't always remember. I'm not always perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when I remember to think about Kelly and our family, I feel freaking awesome. Yeah. And I was going to say like the word duty um, or obligation has kind of a negative connotation, but I feel a a pride and I see him feel a take real pride in doing for this family. And together we kind of help each other take that out into our larger families by being there for them in ways that that we're getting better and better at and out into the community. And that's the whole sort of core of this podcast is doing our our personal work so that we can be in relationship with each other so that that partnership makes us stronger and more than we are individually so that we can do more in the community do more for the world so yeah. your right. your That's questions right. play right into that dynamic that we're working on all the time and you know there are days when it's not all the way dialed in and there are other days where it really is on fire and it works and it's great but that's what we're aiming for for sure yeah there is there is a it some people feel like it's a little bit of a superpower Mm -hmm. it just makes them it makes them stronger it makes them more capable definitely it makes for for me it makes me having written this book which was a, a big career departure. My husband believing that I could do it and liking what I wrote was a big deal. And I don't know if I would have done it without him. I really don't. So it does. That's that's, I think, you know, one of the funnest chapters of the book to read is all these different ways that people have become more because you have somebody, you know, your your teammate, your partner, your companion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, my finances would would be a mess, you know, my bills wouldn't always be on time, you know, if I weren't if I weren't in this family. And that that it's a it's a it's a virtuous spiral, right? It's like, oh, I did that. I feel great about it. I'm getting like serotonin, awesome. A little bit of dopamine, fantastic. I'm going to keep doing this. Right. This and then when great. we when we acknowledge and and uh express appreciation to each other for the things that we do, you know, thank you for taking out the garbage. Thank you for uh, emptying the dishwasher again. You know, it's like all of those things when it just, I don't know, it's again, feeding into that, that, uh, that virtuous cycle or that bank account of, of good feeling. And then when we need to draw on it, there's a lot in there. One of the one of the women in the book actually says that she thinks that that to her is romantic stuff. Romance mm. is, you know, rose petals on the bed. Romance is doing that, taking out the garbage and remembering to turn off the lights before you go to bed and lock the doors because it makes you feel like you're in it together. Absolutely. That's the support. And that's for her, that's a romantic thought. Right. And you can have the rose petals on the bed and that's great. But yeah, if you don't have that other stuff, it's like, don't come to me with rose petals. 
Exactly. <laughs> For, you know, and Charles is great. He does, you know, he does half the work of the house and 90% of the podcast and he's killing it in a bunch of ways. But yeah, like in a relationship where one partner is not showing up and then they just like want to show up for the booty call. It's like, Oh, forget it. Well put. <laughs> I'd use that in the book. If I were, that's going to yeah. go in the volume too. It's all yours. If you can't just show up for the booty call. Mm-mm. That's right. Great. Anything else you want to ask us? Yes. So we we talked about there's a, a chapter in the book called Can You Change Your Partner? Mm. And I wonder if either of you has tried to change something about the other over the years, big or small. Hmm, curious. Like try to change each other by sneaky, manipulative means or by means. positive feedback. <laughs> Any means. But what were the what were the things? Mm. Often often they're fundamental character traits, which are the reason you fell in love with them in the first place. Mm-hmm. They they can be hard to live with over time. That can be true for sure. But it could be some people talk about one person in the house is really messy and the other person's not. That's something you gotta navigate if you both want to live in peace and harmony. Absolutely. So, yeah. I'd say it's not that one of us is messy and one of us is neat, but we're we're messy in different ways and we both wish the other one wouldn't be. But <laughs> there's a sock on the couch right now, which I know is bothering you. Oh, I didn't notice that. Shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> but the pile of clothes next to the bed that I have to step over or around to, in order to make the bed is uh, something that you had stopped doing and then started doing again. See, I didn't know why it was a problem. Now I know why it's a problem. You're trying to make the bed. Yeah. Oh. See, guess, now, now it can be one of those things that I can do for the relationship. Yeah. Oh, this is great. <laughs> this is great. I mean, I think one of the things that, that, you know, Kelly, Kelly mentioned she's, you know, been dealing with depression for most of her life. And I think one of the things that I have to catch myself on all the time is, of course, I want to change her depression. Mm. Of course, I want her to find the energy to, you know, live more of her potential. I want her to go out and call her girlfriends and go for hikes and, you know, do all the things that I know would be good for her. And I know that's not going to come from me. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you accept it or do you try to, do you talk about it? How do you handle that? I haven't found a, I haven't yeah, found, we haven't, I haven't really found talked a, about I haven't it. found a way that, that satisfies me. I mean, you know, when she says something, you know, Kelly will say something like, oh, I should call Ida and go for a hike. I'm like, mm-hmm. that sounds like a, yeah, you should call Ida. <laughs> and then I, then she doesn't. And I have to, I choose to not say, you said, you said, you said you were going to call Ida. I don't, I don't need that in my relationship. Right. And I think I I can't speak for Charles, but I made a very conscious decision that I don't want to be a nitpicker and a a nag. Or even a coach. You said, I don't want to be a coach. Or even a coach. I want to be a cheerleader, but I don't want to be a coach. And I just don't have it in me to be a coach I have it in me to be a nag and a nitpicker, and I don't want that atmosphere in our home. I certainly could do that because I grew up with per, kind of perfectionist, like always noticing what's wrong about everything. And it's bad enough to have that in my head. I don't want it coming out of my mouth all the time. So I stifle, but I want to learn how to really let it go. 
rather than and and what I often try to do uh we got the when we before we got married we went to see a therapist for a few sessions and and he's the neat guy in his relationship and his wife is the messy one and he's told us he his thought when he comes home and finds the messes is oh my beloved has been here and so <laughs> i try to i try to go that route and to neutralize whatever little you know nastiness is in my head cuz i don't i would rather not have it rather than just be squashing it but i want i want kelly to be who she is and and if she's going to change make adjustments, you know, it needs to be intrinsically motivated and not extrinsically motivated. And it's something that we both learned doing teaching and mentoring that working with adolescents, you know, when they have intrinsic motivation, they are so freaking powerful. You know, these teens can move mountains if they are intrinsically motivated, if they're doing it out of, you know, either trying to avoid punishment or, you know, do it for some sort of reward, some pizza party or something. It's hollow. It's not real. It's not authentic. It's not going to stick even if they do it. Yeah, it's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to stick. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think both of us, partly because we were older when we got together, like if I, if I had married in my 20s, I would have definitely been getting in there trying to like change people. I know I I dated people I thought I could fix and help and all of that stuff. And happily, I did a lot of work before I met Charles or re-met Charles. Um, and I think we both do a pretty good job of not trying to change each other a whole lot and just support each other in what we want to do. Yeah. And some of that comes with maturity mm -hmm. and you, you have to know whether it's like, does this bother me enough that I want to make it a thing? Mm -hmm. Right. Or do you try to live with it? And sometimes it's hard to know how to answer that question because you don't, you don't want to be petty. That's the last thing you want right. to be, right? Because there's some stuff that's just not important. But at the same time, if there's a reason like you talk about with your, your clothes are preventing you from making the bed, then Charles understands that. And he's like, well, I'll throw the clothes somewhere else. I'll mm -hmm. throw them on the other side. Yeah, you can make a pile. Just make the pile somewhere else. <laughs> See, I had no idea. This is great. This, we've definitely, we definitely earned, earned this podcast. Here. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. that's the thing I think that's in between stifling and, and being the nitpicker nag is, you know, just saying, hey, can you know, and and I definitely don't come from a family that's very good at, at that middle way middle path of just say it what would you like what would you prefer and maybe the person will take the note and do something different and maybe they won't but you haven't put them in a position where they have to either knuckle under or resist if you yeah. just express a preference so that is a that's a a tip i got from one, some self-help book or relationship book that I, when I remember it, it is helpful. So I'm just reflecting, you know, one of the things you've said a couple of times, Claire, is like how excited the couples were to share, you know, what made them successful. And I just felt that coming up for me. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> excited like, to answer your questions. It's let's tell you all about yeah. it. <laughs> oh, good. And even, you know, and we discovered something about, mm -hmm. you know, the clothes on the floor. Mm -hmm. That's great. God, that's totally fixable. I know, right? It's I'm little, easy. I'm a little frustrated. You didn't tell me why. I know. I, I feel it. like a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> you were so busy trying not to be a nitpicker. All you needed to yeah. say was, you know what? It makes it a little harder for me to make the bed. Right. 
fuck, man, I can, I, I want to make things easy for Kelly. I don't want right? to make them hard. So. We want to do things for yeah. each other. That's Boom. how it's done, people. <laughs> <laughs> In real time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got a couple more questions for you, Claire, and then uh, hopefully okay. we'll get a, an awesome science for you. But, you know, for couples, I would, I would highly recommend that couples go out and, and, and buy this book. Again, it's called Making Marriage Happy, Hard One Wisdom from Real Couples. And it does, it just kind of, I, I anticipate just kind of dipping in and out of it over the course of time. It's re, it's it's intense. Like it's a lot of information. Each chapter is a lot of information, a lot of stories. But really accessible. But really I mean, yeah. the the little bit that I've read so far is just like I can't wait to read more. And and, and it's intense, but it means you can dip in and out of it. It's like it's it's a rich stew, bite sized pieces. Stew of bite sized pieces, yeah. exactly. How how long will we go with this metaphor? But um, <laughs> what do you what do you recommend, or or what do you know about how couples have been using this book? One of the things I've been hearing that's made me so happy is that couples are reading it together, and. One, one woman let me know that she and her husband read it together on a car ride and would stop and start all the time and go, oh, that makes me think of that time that we did this and we got so angry with each other and I wish we would have handled it this way or or to think about, you know, to stumble on something they're reading and it's about a situation that they currently have and go, oh, we could we could think about this differently. We could we could try it this way, or you get a new gift idea. What, what I, I, I hope is a good use of the book is for couples kind of in any state, whether you're happy or you really kind of feel like you need to make some tweaks, that it will be encouraging, that there's no perfectionism involved, that it's all a real you know, process that has to take place over time and mistakes will be made. But there are things that you can do and remember to bring out apologies and forgiveness and that these are practices of happy couples that hopefully when they when they're put into practice in in individual people's lives that they'll they'll see some benefit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the one of the things we tend to ask people is to take the the work that you've just done and in this case it's this book and imagine everybody's read it what in you know 5 years 10 years what does the world look like when everybody has kind of digested what's in this book mm, that's a really interesting question i as far as married couples go or couples in in committed relationships I would hope that there's more peace, that people feel a place of, of peace and honesty where they can be themselves, they're happy in their home, they feel loved, they know that mistakes come with the territory, it's not going to be upsetting, and it's not going to, to threaten the fate of the relationship, that you can make this decision about the commitment and know that the marriage is always a present tense thing. It's just, there's no, there's not a commitment to be perfect for the rest of your life, but there is a commitment to work at it mm. and to be in it and to give it your heart and soul. And so that I think would be, that would be a nice outcome. The word peace that you right. started mm -hmm. with, the word peace that you started with is like, oh. Yeah. I felt myself kind of relax into that when you said that word. Good. Yeah, well, Claire, 
what uh, what science do you want to leave us with? And just to remind the listeners or to, or to explain to new listeners, every week we ask our guests to leave us with an experiment, a science to do over the course of a week. And it's just, it's, it's uh, really just an observational study. You try it, give it a shot, see if, see if anything changes for you. There's no way to do this wrong. All right. Well, I love, I love that you guys do this. It's so creative. And it was, it was fun for me to think about something drawing from the book because maybe not everybody is listening, who is listening is married, but what we're all capable of doing is interviewing. Mm-hmm. And so my challenge to your listeners is to think of a situation in their life that, that could use some improvement. It's maybe not your biggest worry, but it's something that you're not satisfied with. It could be maybe your teenager's driving you crazy or you don't like your job or, or your relationship may be a stress because of the pandemic. You're, you know, too much on top of each other all day, every day. Just some, some sort of a situation, a, a section of your life where you think, okay, that could use an improvement. And then choose three people and have a 15-minute conversation about that topic. And choose three people that would be insightful on that topic. Mm. And so you have to, to approach them, you'd have to say, specifically, I'd like to get your advice about this thing. And I want to interview you because that is really the, if, you, if, we have, if we're in conversation, then I'm going to ask a question and you're going to tell me something and then I'm going to react to it and tell you a story of my own. That's how we interact normally in conversation. But if you're interviewing someone, then the rules are, I'm here to get information from you. I'm going to dig around in your experience and what you know and what I've seen of you and the success that you have. And I want to try to understand that because that's going to give me some insight into my own problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ask open-ended questions. Exactly. So open-ended questions. For some people, it might sound weird. Other people, most people are flattered. Most Mm. people are flattered because you're asking for advice. You're asking them because you respect who they are. You have something that they admire and you want, you you just genuinely want to know how they do it. And if you set it up like that, most people will say yes. If they say no, no big deal. Don't have any pressure. Just don't let that deter you. Find somebody else and see if you can have three short conversations. If once you get into it, I bet it's going to be hard to keep it to 15 minutes. Right. (laughs) But it's always good to let people know this is all my expectation is. And then and then see what you learn. But try to, as as you say, Kelly, ask open ended questions, resist the temptation to share stories of your own. And then, you know, just keep your keep your questions related to the thing that you really want to fix in your life and see if you can find a couple pieces of information that help you help you through it. I love it. I love it. And, I, and I'm guessing the idea is to to try and find three people that have been reasonably successful at whatever it is that I'm yes. struggling with. So just in the way that you interviewed successful, long lasting marriages, you know, if I'm, if I'm struggling with a teenager, find somebody who's got a teenager, somebody who's parenting a teenager who seems to be doing relatively well. Of course, they'll tell you all the ways in which they're struggling as well. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Or, and, and, you know, people who are older, who lived through that mm-hmm. because, and especially people who are close to you, because I did interview um, some extended family and people, people you think, you know, they have stuff to tell you that you don't know because you never asked and it never came up. And so older people, you know, especially have, I think, a well of, of 
knowledge and experience that as a person of a different generation, you probably haven't tapped into. And so that's actually really fun to discover these different layers of for example, somebody that that it's older who you know is accomplished, has a wonderful family, it says they it feels like they've done everything right, had real hardships in their marriage or hardships with their kids or spiritual things that they were going through. And you you find that out only when you ask. Mm. Love it. Oh, what I a, love what that. a great science. What a great science. I really hope everybody takes us on. I think yeah, I'd love being, to hear how it how it goes for you. Yeah, I love you know it's like uh, turning turning journalism into a little bit of a science, or science into a journalism, or something. <laughs> or social science, something like social that. Social science, yes. yeah. Documentary, <laughs> documentarians, love it. Claire Vanderpolder, thank you so much for thank you so much for doing this project and writing this book mm-hmm. and and gathering that a thousand years of marriage wisdom. I think it, uh, you know, should probably be, you know, etched into metal and and left in the uh, in the Library of Congress for for future generations. But wow. We, yeah. <laughs> no, really. I mean, it's, well, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's an important document. That's an important document. And well, thanks you so guys much have for, been great. It's so much it's been so much to be fun to be with you, and I love the level of your preparation and the creativity you bring to it, and your every episode is always fun to listen to. Mm. Well, thank you, thank you. Thank we love it. you. We love it too. And audience, we love you being here. Thank Absolutely. you for your thank you for your preparation. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for all you do out there. This has been the Here Together Podcast. Charles, I want to buy Claire's book for everyone. All right, let's put it in the budget. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Because I always loved reading case studies back when I was in school for psychology. I thought, you know, it's basically storytelling with a purpose yeah um do you know what this you know what this book kind of reminds me of what do you remember uh the movie harry met sally of course everybody remembers mm-hmm. that movie the litter the little interludes were interviews and i don't know oh, if they were yes. with real people or not but i think they were throughout the movie was it rob reiner yeah directed that right i think so so they're you know kind of old people talking uh-huh. about their relationships talking about how they met and you know kind totally. of totally yeah so it kind of put the whole movie in in context but yeah, so go ahead and, and watch When Harry Met Sally. Right. Kind of, kind of laugh at the 80s for a bit. But yeah, do read Claire's book. Absolutely. Yeah, I downloaded it this morning and I'm super excited to read it. And I'm super excited to share it with you, Charles. I love that idea of reading it together. So maybe we could read a nugget at bedtime every night. Yeah. Just right after our, we do our 10 breaths. Yeah. Yeah, going back to part of Yakim's challenge from the previous episode, the previous Relationship Week episode about finding ways to be quiet and still mm, and present with still your partner. together, yes. Which is so hard. It's, I mean, it's like the simplest possible thing. Well, I guess it kind of feels like you weren't doing anything. And yeah. Maybe it's not that it's actually difficult. It's just that framing it in a certain way makes it difficult. Hmm. That's all I'm, and and uh, but I like your idea of combining that mm-hmm. with reading from Claire's book. So now there's we're gonna have to start going to bed like two hours early after a while. We'll like be <laughs> yeah. taking all the sciences and yeah. creating a practice. Just cancel our Netflix subscription yeah. and, and go to bed at six. 
There you go. Think think you're, about think about on. what a powerful couple we'd be. I know, right? You're on to something. There we go. But tell me tell me why you want to buy the book for everybody, Kelly. What do you what is it what I is don't it know. That's... It just feels good to hear these stories and to connect and you know, it just feels really good. Like her voice in in sharing these stories and the way she sets it up feels really good to me and I, I already trust her to take me someplace good and I just think that there are are real nuggets of wisdom that there's something for everybody in this book I, agree. I just know it I agree I agree and it's as I said in the in kind of my introduction or early on in the episode that it's um it's not sociological it's not psychological it doesn't bring up you know yeah. data or studies mm-hmm. uh, which you know all of which I love I love right. all those that are great stuff. too but as you point out these are anecdotes these are stories this is real these are real stories it's mm-hmm. these are these are yeah. real people's voices this isn't somebody mm-hmm. trying to be trying to be wise this is like actual mm-hmm. on the ground applicable wisdom and it's complex it's not it's very clear that like this isn't easy or I you know so many of the the stories in there it's like I used to struggle with this and now because mm-hmm. I've done this I'm able to be more present for my partner right. or whatever because she really wanted people to focus on behaviors right you know right, things right, right. that you could actually point to right because it's complex there's a lot going on there's a lot going there's on hormones in and genetics and neural pathways and all of this stuff but you can't see any of that yeah you can see behavior and you can uh, you can yeah. see what it looks like if you do a different behavior huh that's great Mm-hmm. You can see it. I love it. So coming up next week, it's still Relationship Month, mm-hmm. but we're going to release episode one of the Remaking Manhood podcast. And it ties in. It ties in well, Relationship Week. Well, yeah, because dudes are in relationships a lot of the time. Absolutely. And episode one is, is a lot about uh, Mark and I talking about what it's like to be out of relationship with other men and what it's like to be in relationship with men and how mm-hmm. it sustains us. It literally helps us live longer. Mm-hmm. So check that out. We're really excited. Uh, you can you can listen to it now. You don't have to listen to it next week. You can listen to it now on the Remaking Manhood feed, but just know we're going to be co-releasing it next week. So thanks so much for being a part of this team and part of this rollout please tell other people about it please tell other people about this podcast yeah it's really important and it stands to really make relationships better for everyone and make workplaces better and you know make the streets a safer place wow yeah Yeah. i mean i don't know i have a big vision for for what this could be but that's that's me I love it. Kelly's our number one fan. She's mm-hmm. not involved in the making the remaking manhood podcast at all, but no, she's but our I'm one stoked fan. about it. Absolutely. So in the meantime, you can follow the Here Together podcast on Instagram at Rocketfeather One, and you can join the Here Together Community Lab on Facebook to stay up to date with the science report, the science assignment, contribute to the conversation, meet other like-minded hotties, and stay engaged with ideas about relationship, personal growth, and change in the world. This is Charles Matthews and Kelly Roberge wishing that you always get the perfect advice when you need it and find the perfect audience for your hard won wisdom. We love you. We love you. The Here Together podcast is a project of Rocket Feather Creative. 
Happy Relationship Month. Woohoo!